Sally Orange is the kind of person you don't get to meet often. She takes the impossible and makes it possible, but she does this despite some significant mental health challenges. Now, in this episode, we discuss what real leadership looks like, how to overcome even the darkest of moments, and why she does what she does dressed as pieces of fruit. But first, are you a leader looking to become an even better leader? Well, you've arrived at the right place. This podcast, the Leader Connect podcast, is all about leadership, but not complicated, academic, head-in-book leadership. We're all about simple, effective leadership that brings out the best in you and in your team. We've got an app. It's a really great app because it's like having a leadership coach in your pocket. The Leader Connect app will allow you to tap into the wisdom of our extraordinary team, network with leaders just like you, and gain exclusive access to some of the best leadership training in the world. Pop over now to wherever you download your apps from and find the Leader Connect app. Sally Orange has joined me on the Leader Connect podcast, which I am so excited about because Sally has always been a great inspiration to me, rather than me talking all about it. Sally, could you please, and I always ask people to do this, could you give us your life story in 60 seconds, please? Oh, first of all, good afternoon, Sarah, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yes, yeah, Sally Orange in 60 seconds. So I served for 22 years in the Royal Army Medical Corps as a physiotherapy officer. And that was something that I'd always wanted to do. But I suppose I went off and did different things as well. It exposed me to lots of different adventure training, lots of different expeditions, which I loved all the personal attributes that the Army taught me to be able to do those things. And I suppose then what I'm now known for is running around the world dressed as different pieces of fruit, which I'm sure you've probably not had any other of your guests on there say say that. So I can hopefully think that's a different thing about me. I like how low-key you've kept it as well. And I'm also slightly disappointed that today you are not dressed as a piece of fruit. How many Guinness World Records do you hold? I have six Guinness World Records and five other world records that just haven't been recognised by Guinness. Okay. And how many marathons in total have you done? I've now run 71 marathons all around the world. And my little claim to fame, I guess, is that I'm the only person in the world that's ran a marathon on every continent dressed as a different piece of fruit. love it I absolutely love it and we will talk a little bit later about why it is that you specifically dress as a piece of fruit and all of those kind of bits and pieces of what kind of motivates you but for the first kind of half before we get to what I call the sandwich in the middle I would like to focus a little bit more on leadership because clearly this is the Leader Connect podcast and you mentioned that you were a serving army officer you're now retired so you're a veteran which leadership skills did you find were the most important during your time when you were serving? Interesting. Yeah, interesting questions. And um, I should probably explain that as a physiotherapist, I was known as a professionally qualified officer. So they have slightly different training to a, an officer who perhaps goes into the Royal Logistics Corps or engineers. It things, it's things like physiotherapists, doctors, lawyers, professionals. So I had my qualification before I went in. So when I went to Sandhurst, it was actually a, a much shorter course, but 
you're still expected to do the same roles if it comes to duty officer, those kind of things. And nobody knows that you're particularly nothing on there that says particularly that it's any different. But I think one of the things for me as a physiotherapist was in terms of leadership was honesty. And that's being honest with my patients of what I would be expecting, but also of myself and of them. But I think if you display a certain quality, you're more likely to get it back from somebody else as well. So if I was to open up and say, look, I'm going to be honest with you, this and this, then there's the hope that they would open up as well, just to, to have that level of communication, because it is important with the patient that you get the best from them, that you know about them. So that, yeah, a number of things, I suppose, with the style of leadership, for me to sometimes expose my vulnerabilities, I would get more from my patients as well if I've done that because as I say it's that reciprocal agreement you've opened up okay I feel it's okay to open up now as well and I think that is all centered around what we call authentic leadership and being your authentic self which isn't always that easy and I understand this a little bit having worked alongside the military for a long time I I'm a I'm a army wife, I'm a military child. So I also understand this concept that actually when you're in that kind of hierarchical system, which doesn't just necessarily come from being in the military, it is quite difficult to be your authentic self because you feel that sometimes perhaps you're playing the role of the officer or the role of the head teacher or the role of the CEO or whatever it is. But I think that what you've just identified there is the importance of being absolutely who you are particularly in that kind of scenario where you're dealing with patients as well, I think is really important. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because they are generally very vulnerable when they come to you, whether that be whatever physical injury it is that they come to you with, it impacts them in so many other different aspects of their life. So it will impact their family life. It'll impact their self-confidence. It'll impact their mental health as well. Although it's a physical injury, it really does, yeah, just have such a bigger impact on them. And if you don't have that understanding and you think it's just this one box that they've got an injury, they'll go back to everything else, then I think you're missing a lot and you won't get the best out of your patients. And I was always trying to get the best out of my patients so that they're motivated to improve, to get themselves better. And that would be different with every patient. We're all different, so we have different things that make us tick. And if I just had one style of being able to do that, then I don't think I would have got the results that I did with different people. And also, as you've just identified, is tapping into each person needing something completely different. And the same applies to leadership, doesn't it? That one person within your team might as a very basic idea, might prefer to be motivated by, I don't know, criticism. And one person in your team might be motivated by praise. So it really is in the same way as you did as a physio with your patients. It's that same concept of the leader understanding what each member of their team needs and knowing people, which I think is... Yeah, empathy is a massive thing. That, That consistency of doing that with each individual, but the empathy and the understanding, as you say, what what makes them tick to be able to get the best out of them is definitely something that I would always look to with each individual and why I'd use different tools in my toolkit for different people. What did you find and perhaps do you still find really hard as a leader? What was the most challenging aspects for you of being a leader? 
This is a really interesting question that I looked to a different scenario when I actually led a team of wounded, injured and sick individuals and we were cycling the race across America, so from the west to the east side of America. And some of the challenges in that leadership situation was that a lot of these people were my friends as well. So mixing leadership with friendship, I think, is very difficult because you often have to make some unpleasant decisions if you're looking after the wider team. So it's not just one individual that you can do everything for. It has to be everyone as a whole to be able to get the best out of the team. And one of those challenges is when you are having to lead friends. And I think I would say the same with family as well. It, they're just different relationships that are very difficult. And it's, that you could, I can use my physiotherapy style with patients, but then if I was to try and do that with my family or my friend, the barriers are perhaps different, which makes it difficult. So yeah, I'd say they're definitely some of the challenges, friends, family, and trying to lead them. And how did you, particularly on that cycle ride, because that's quite a long way, people getting tired and people getting agitated and all of those kind of things, and maybe getting to a point where they don't feel that they can push themselves. How did you lead in that scenario when, when they are friends? What was it that you did? Because lots of people have been in this situation. I can think of people who have perhaps been part of a team and then have been promoted above that team. And they've got this great relationship with their team, probably as friends, and now they're the boss. So how did you deal with that? What specific things did you do? I think it was always having to come back to the purpose of the challenge. So we were wanting to be the first all-female team that completed this. So at the beginning, I had said, our aims, are we all in agreement that our aims are that we want to complete this, we want to complete it together and safely. So I wasn't interested in if we were the fastest people to do that. But there did become difficulties when some people did, we, we were doing very well and some people wanted to go slightly faster. And it's having to bring ourselves back and remind ourselves exactly why we were doing something. And so I think it was that the passion and the purpose, they almost, they clashed almost at one point because the passion was, we want to do this, we want to do it as fast as we can. Let's just sit back again. I suppose it's having that condor moment and going, no, the bigger picture here, we want to complete this as a team and safely. So. Yeah, it was just having to take that step back away from the situation, almost like an eagle, I guess, looking down on the situation, which wasn't easy, particularly when you're in that situation yourself as well. And that's leadership in its purest form, isn't it? It's maintaining what the clear and compelling purpose is. And that's what Neil refers to it in the leadership book. It's you need to ensure that you know what the clear and compelling purpose is and then the team does as well. But then in addition to that, it's being the leader and being able to see the, the, bigger, the bigger picture. So also being able to, so clearly you were part of the cycling team as well, but also having those moments where you were able to step outside and look at, like you said, that analogy of the eagle flying over is great isn't it because it's you knew what the bigger picture was you knew what the clear and compelling purpose was job done and off you went and you completed the challenge yeah yeah absolutely I think I would actually say about that challenge it was probably more getting to the start line that was more of the challenge rather than the actual cycling itself because in actual fact when we got to that point I I did have somebody a team manager then who would do that because I was on the bike so I couldn't be making those decisions it was the the 18 months preparation of trying to get the funds to be able to do that to keep people motivated with their training to recognize the two of the team 
weren't doing the training and to try and find out exactly why. But both of them wanted, I'm so glad that you've noticed I'm not training. I'm finding it really painful. I can't do it. Obviously, everybody got injuries. And I said, that's not a problem. Thank you for being honest with me. You can still be involved, but we will just put you on the support crew as opposed to a cyclist. So that honesty, again, it was difficult for me to have those conversations. There was other times when I had to say, look, if things don't improve, I, these are the markers that I want you to achieve, some clear set objectives. If you don't make those, I'm really sorry, but for the benefit of the team, I'm going to have to, to remove you. And I would have to do that with everybody. And also for somebody who I, I very rarely train for a lot of the events I do, <laughs> that they're, they're individual events and that's only me that I'm letting down. This was one time where I had to train as much as everybody else because how could I expect them? to do the training if I wasn't doing it myself. So, uh, yeah, I think that's very much something the leadership is never really expecting anybody, anybody else to do anything that you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself. It's a really beautiful one, that one. And I love that honesty. Sally, I know you very well and you are beautifully honest, which is one of your skills. And I think taking that into any team is so important. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a minute and do the sandwich now for you. Okay. One day I just need to come up with a much better idea for it, but the sandwich is stuck uh, it. and it, it is what it is. It also makes me feel slightly hungry as well. Oh, actually, on that note, here's the first question in the sandwich. Sally Orange, what is your favourite sandwich? Oh, now that is, yeah, there isn't really that much of a fruity sandwich, is there? Or a banana sandwich? I <laughs> I do like a good banana sandwich, actually. And on that note, tomatoes, well, not bananas and tomatoes together, but a tomato is a fruit. And I think that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Such wisdom. Thank (laughs) you for that. I wanted to know what is or what has been your favourite place to run? Where's been your favourite running place? I am incredibly fortunate to have run all over the world. And one of those places that sticks out to me is Mongolia in the winter. And it was across a frozen lake. It was minus 50 degrees. I was dressed as a chili pepper because I knew it was going to be freezing cold. So I thought I'd at least look red hot. But the, the sounds, the stillness, the scenery was just absolutely incredible. And the people were just absolutely beautiful as well so that's really somewhere that sticks out in my mind but there are so many other places that I could have said there. Uh, I think you alluded to this earlier but genuinely what did you want to be when you grew up? I always wanted to be a physiotherapist it's I wanted to do something care profession so I always thought I wanted to be a nurse or a doctor and then I wasn't really bright enough to be a doctor. And I think at the time, nurses, there was a lot of making beds where I wanted to actually interact with people. But it was quite a long journey for me to get there because I sat my A-levels and didn't do very well. So I resat them. I didn't get the right grades to be able to go and do physiotherapy. So I thought, I still want to do it. I'll go and do a different degree. I'll do a health studies degree that I can transfer onto that. Um... I wasn't able to transfer, so I had to finish that first health studies degree. And so six years after first applying, 
I finally got a place to study for another three years. So that was nine years after first applying that I finally graduated as a physiotherapist. But the lovely thing, Sarah, is that I had a fantastic career. I did some things like in the army with Afghanistan and, and soldiers and I volunteered at the Commonwealth Games and at the Paralympics. So I've seen some fantastic things. But the University of Nottingham, where I studied, 30 years on from when I initially applied to, to start studying physiotherapy, they contacted me and said that they wanted to unaward me with the, an honorary doctorate. So it's been quite a journey and certainly how wasn't how I imagined it would be. But when I look back, and 30 years later to later this year to be, yeah, be attending a ceremony for me as one of those people going, well, what have they done? I don't know what I remember at my ceremony thinking, they're wearing the funny hat. What have they actually done? And hopefully when I go and speak there, I'll be able to tell my journey and yeah, how I've got there and how I've got to be coming to receive the honorary doctorate. Because that is a moment that I remember getting that email and just thinking, what? Wow. How is this for me? Have they made a mistake? But yeah, from that very university that 30 years earlier for those six years had not actually accepted me onto that degree. So quite a nice story in the end. And you know, we live in a world where things move seemingly move so quickly. And I like you, I like to look at inspiring people and follow their journeys and go and some, you read a book and they had this idea and within six months time they were doing this. And actually those are very unique stories because the reality is it does take a long time to actually really achieve what it is that you want to achieve in life. And your story is a perfect example of that. It's also the most amazing example of resilience, which we'll touch on in a few minutes as well, because you are one of the most resilient people that, that I have ever met. But it does take time. It does take time. It doesn't happen from one Instagram picture to the next. A dream takes a long time to become a reality. Thank you so much for taking part in the sandwich, Dr. Sally Orange. We that doesn't sound right. That still doesn't quite sound right. <laughs> get it in there. So what I wanted to ask you was, we spoke about the leader having a clear and compelling purpose for the team, for the business, for the organization, what it is, the direction in which you want to travel. I also believe quite strongly, and we've always called it the why or the mission or whatever, but I just happen to really like the term clear and compelling purpose. It's the compelling part that it's that thing that makes you just carries you along and you really want to follow it. And it, I just love that word, compelling compelling. Do you have, and it doesn't have to be very eloquent, but do you have a clear and compelling purpose for yourself? I think I maybe didn't realize that I did, but I'm now starting to believe that I do and have. And having, I'm quite open about the fact that I have struggled with my mental health, but I think I've really turned that around now and seen it as a challenge to go, okay, found it difficult. I don't want other people to find that difficult. How can I change it so that they don't have to? And so I now do a lot to really try and break down that, that stigma associated with mental ill health. Be that just a short period of time or a longer period of time. Because mental illness, I think we all have physical health. We all have mental health. And we all go through difficult times, whether that be a bereavement, um, and we all react very differently to those situations. And um, I think letting people know that it's okay and it is absolutely normal to be tearful, 
to be upset, to feel low, because we all have that. And I think if we looked at that like a common cold that we were able to say to people, oh, I had a cold last week. We wouldn't bat an eyelid if somebody was to say that. They might have had to have one or two days off, off work because they just weren't feeling very well. They weren't on the top of their game. But they take that time off and then they come back much better and feeling much more positive. And I think if we could just do that with our mental health and recognize it's okay that I don't feel that great at the moment. It's not surprising that I don't feel that great at the moment. I haven't had much sleep. I've got this stress coming on. I've got this pressure. Some of that be external, some of that be internal and just manage in our minds that it's okay to have these ups and downs because life is very much a roller coaster. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree with that. And like I said, you are just so deeply resilient and I'm sure you probably disagree with me, but I genuinely believe you are because for every situation you push through that because I think because you've got this clear and compelling purpose, which is to normalize mental health challenges and it's health. It's part of health. It just happens to be centered around our mentality, our brain or whatever it is. So it is part of health. And I would love for the world to be so different where I'm in bed today because I just feel rubbish. I'm happy with telling my boss that I'm in bed today because I've got a cold. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Can we, given your experience, actually the first question I wanted to ask you was, what do the adventures, what do all of these amazing things that you've done, that the world records, the marathons, the frozen lakes, the going to to Iceland, the doing a marathon in the London, I'm trying to remember all of these things that (laughs) we haven't got that long. How do all of these things help you and how do you push yourself through those? I think there's a number of reasons when I think back to it. Obviously, my background as a physiotherapist makes me understand the human body from a physical point of view and the release of endorphins, the being outside in nature. For me, even just being at at the beach next to water is something that, that I love. That feeling of the wind on your face and the smell of the sea, they're the things that get you outside and they're the distractions from perhaps what's going on in your head. For me also, it's it's the people that you meet when you do these things. Everybody's got their own story, whether it be a marathon, whether it be climbing a mountain or running across a desert. The reasons people are there, be that a 5K, a 10K or a half hour, it doesn't have to be something. Captain Tom is a, a pure example of that, that he was doing 100 laps. It wasn't miles and miles, but it was the challenge for him. It was that consistency and doing something little and often on a regular basis that then became a habit. And I think they're just really good analogies that you can do with work for therapy for a mental illness. So it is that consistency and that having to be true to yourself and recognizing when things aren't okay and going, okay. They're not okay. What can I do about it? What things can I change? Will going outside for a walk help me? Will picking up the phone and ringing a friend or putting thoughts down onto paper and writing a letter? There's so many different ways and different things for different people. So much as I said before about physiotherapy treatment with an individual for a physical injury, it would be exactly the same for a mental challenge as well, that we react, react, react in different ways. Our jigsaws are great because there's Times when you, when you don't feel well and you don't want to be with people, but you don't want to be on your own either. 
And so doing something like jigsaws, or I found craft was something that was very cathartic to me that I couldn't do it wrong. There was no right or wrong with doing craft. And I really honed into making greeting cards when I was really poorly um, because they were the type of cards I would have liked to have received when I wasn't very well. So I then started to sell these for charity and I found a way that I was helping others through my difficult times. So yeah, just different ways that different people can, can help themselves. How important, or let me put it into kind of context, as leaders, we so often feel that we have to be entirely selfless. It's all based on the team, how the team getting on, and then family, because you don't feel like you've spent enough time at home or whatever it is, or the guilt is huge, but we do feel that we have to be very selfless. How important is it for the leader to be mindful of their own mental health and to to, <laughs> to put their own mental health first? I think the old adage here is that you... We've all, most people have been on an aeroplane and the analogy of needing to put your own oxygen mask on first before you put it on those around you. I think one of the difficulties with the military particularly is the values and standards that you were taught. One of those is selfless commitment. So you are taught, you have to do everything for everybody else. So that the disparity to, to what actually you need to do, because you, if you are running on empty, you can't help other people. And I think if you can show that in yourself, you will also then recognise it in others. And I think that's just as important as a leader is to be able to recognise when other people are running low or running on empty and use those people within the team that are doing really well at the time and balance each other further out because life is very much about balance, whether that's the, the food that we eat, the exercise that we do. You can do too much exercise. You can eat too much of a bad food. And no one said that you can't eat good and bad food, but balance is the key, I think, with so many different things. And that's what makes a team work. If you have a team that's strong in certain elements and they're all strong in those elements, that isn't a particularly effective team because you do need the people to dampen things down, which is why often some of the best relationships that work are opposites because opposites attract. Yeah, I think there's lots of different elements in that question. I like, I actually know, I love that idea of who's feeling strong in the team this week and who isn't. And it's okay to, to one week be the strong person, but then the next week to, to not be feeling as strong. And I think that for the leader to, to be able to have those conversations with their team to find out who is feeling great and 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 for them to be open and honest with the leader is amazing and that does require really great communication skills from the leader as well we talk about the comms pyramid which i go on about all the time because i love it and that kind of at the top of the communications pyramid is this feelings and emotions and then the peak team area and i think in the peak team is the opportunity for people to to be able to go to i'm to the boss, I'm not feeling great today. Okay, that's fine because Sally's in the team and Sally today is, this week is feeling great. So let's let Sally get on with this. And gosh, what a beautiful team that would be. And I would love to be part of that team. And I have been part of those teams where you take the slack from each other because somebody isn't feeling great that day. That yeah, and I think when we've been in those types of teams, you thrive and you achieve and perform and you remember those teams. And it's not a feeling of, oh, I always have to do this with so-and-so because there is 
all of that is taking out. There isn't any of that sense of it's always me that has to do this. It's just people genuinely wanting to to support each other. And I have to say, it's only a few teams where I've actually found that. But when I have found that, it sticks out a mile. And what what we've been able to achieve, and the fact that we're still even maybe not still working on the same project, we still have that communication to check in on each other and just find out how they're doing in just general life. I I absolutely agree. And we need more teams like that. And you can create those teams. It just, it requires work and putting the right people together and creating the right environment. And it's certainly one of the things that we're trying to enable people to do as part of the Leader Connect community. So it goes without saying, Sally, thank you so much for all of your time today. It's always a joy to talk to you and to find out all of the amazing things that, that you've been doing. And I know for me personally, you've had a huge difference on getting me out there and doing things that I didn't think that I would be able to do because you make the extraordinary seem so easy. That's really kind, Sarah. But I think if we all just look ourselves, look at ourselves as almost our own CEO, that we need to, if you want to lead other people, you've got to start by leading yourself, whether that be personal development, looking in, looking at situations, how they can change. I think really... I just want to be the kind of woman that girls of all ages want to be. And that's how I'm able to use it to think, right, what would I want to see? What didn't I see when I was younger? But that doesn't have to be children. It doesn't have to be teenagers. That's women of any ages. And I still look at others. There's many people that that I aspire and go, I really like how they've done that. So I think we can all learn so much from each other. So Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and it's been a delight chatting to you. Before you go, can I recommend a book to you? The Leadership Book by Leader Connect founder Neil Jurd has hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. If you want to know what we're all about, then you should definitely start there. I'll see you next time.